The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome. I am excited to take you into a realm that I have not gone into before, and it has to do with a lot of what's going on with our kids and screen time. The public receives conflicting messages about electronic media's effects on the brain from the press on a nearly daily basis. People don't have any idea of easily determining whether a particular study is considered methodologically sound or whether any of the researchers had financial conflicts of interest, whether the media has sensationalized the findings, or whether they're hearing about a study so prominently because of a heavily funded, carefully orchestrated press release. As such, it's difficult to get a sense of what the balance of unbiased research shows. Parents are given vague advice to moderate usage and are often led to believe that limiting screen time only applies to video game play. They're told to avoid violent games, but that educational games might give a child an edge over peers or even enhance his or her intelligence. They've heard of internet and game addiction, but they are encouraged to feel safe if their child does not meet the criteria of addiction. Nevertheless, many parents sense intuitively that electronic screen activity has unwanted effects on their children's behavior and mood, but they're unsure what to do about it. So what's really happening to our children? That is the question that I'd like to address today, and I have the perfect expert to help us understand that. Dr. Victoria Dunkley is an award-winning integrative psychiatrist who has appeared as a mental health expert on such media outlets as The Today Show, NBC Nightly News, and the Investigation Discovery Network. In the past 10 years, her RESET program has helped more than 500 children, teens, and young adults who fail to respond to conventional treatment alone. Her website is ResetYourChildsBrain.com, and we are discussing her new book, Reset Your Child's Brain, a four-week plan to end meltdowns, raise grades, and boost social skills by reversing the effects of electronic screen time. Welcome, Dr. Dunkley, to 1111 Talk Radio. Thanks, Iran. I'm happy to be here. This is really an important topic because it seems like electronics have taken over our lives. They're There are things that we adults seem to not be able to let go, much less our children aren't able to seem to let go of them because even our school systems are now implementing this type of technology. As I read your book, and especially the beginning, it was really interesting to see how you fell into understanding how the devices and the time that children are spending on these devices is really affecting their health, their wellness, their concentration, their brains, and we'll go more into that, but I'd like to give people an understanding of how you initially came to notice this was taking place. Mm -hmm. Well, it kind of all started 
back in the early 2000s when I had just finished my training and I was working with foster kids, kids in groups, group homes and residential treatment centers, and all of these kids had been abused or neglected and their little bodies were already in a state of stress or um, fight or flight. So they're very easily put into the state of fight or flight with any little stress. So I noticed with those kids, if they played any video games at all, they'd get a lot worse. And conversely, if we removed gaming, they would kind of get unstuck and we could make progress. And in particular, there was a, a treatment center I was working at, and, and one of the houses there agreed to eliminate the video games in the house. And, you know, we were actually able to track the behavior incidents, and lo and behold, after a month, the behavior incidents had dropped by a third. And this was a center that was um, the highest level of care in the entire state. So these kids had, you know, significant issues, and to drop behaviors by a third was huge, you know. So I started to realize that how much it kind of perpetuated that fight-or-flight state, the gaming um, and then I started noticing in my private practice that they kind of looked similar to the kids who'd been abused. They kind of had this stress picture or post-traumatic stress picture. And that even with them, you know, if they had ADHD or anxiety or obsessive compulsive disorder, whatever their disorder was, if we eliminated games out of the picture completely, they started to get better. Now, I know when I have talked to other authors in regard to the brain and brain health, and whether we look at uh, imagining or whether we look at dreaming or even visualization, the brain doesn't really discern between real or perceived threats. And so I'm thinking that as these children, if they're playing games that are violent or have darkness or even present the concept of something that is threatening, then what mm-hmm. we're doing is we're we're not only affecting the brain, but we're imprinting them with ideas and beliefs of harm and and unsafety. Talk a little bit about what is actually taking place with the brain when we are presenting these threats, even in this uh, virtual form. Yes, that's exactly right. So the brain, you know, is supposed to be able to handle a little bit of stress and occasionally a large stress every now and then. And then, in theory, we're supposed to discharge that stress through fight or flight, through either running away or fighting or doing something that is going to expand, expand a, um, or expand, excuse me, a, a large amount of physical energy. So we're not meant to be assaulted by these things day after day, you know, on a daily basis all day long. So you can see, it's easy to see with a violent video game how the brain can perceive that as a threat. Um, but it turns out it's not just all those violent things. It's also the screen itself. The stimulation of the screen itself increases arousal level because it's so um, unnaturally intense, enticing, stimulating, um, so it's visually stimulating all the movement, the bright colors. These are all things that were programmed by evolution to respond to. So it automatically increases arousal levels. <clears throat> and, you know, even multitasking does the same thing, um, the intensity of the light. So when you, compa- when you add all these things together, 
these little fight-or-flight responses are occurring all, you know, the, the entire time you're using any kind of screen, um, even getting a response, even texting, all those things give you a little uh, boost of dopamine and increase your arousal. So you know, it's increasing arousal. It activates the reward center in the brain, making you want to keep play. There's a lot of immediate gratification. Um, so there's a lot of things that keep the person going. And then when you stop, the brain has a hard time readjusting to reality. So all of these things are really stressful on the brain. You know, there's immediate stress effects, and then there's chronic stress effects that are occurring as well. And we know for sure that those things are happening because there's certain markers that we can test for that show kids who game, kids who use screens have stress markers. They have higher blood pressure, higher heart rates. We're now seeing chronic stress changes like higher cortisol, um, high blood sugar, high cholesterol, things like that, you know, poor sleep. So it's really become an epidemic, and it's all, these are all stress-related reactions. So I know that, you know, I spend a lot of time behind the computer myself and doing to, to writing 1111 Magazine and, and a lot of the work that I do through 1111. And I can tell how this affects my eyes. I can tell that my eyes get drier. I can tell mm-hmm. that after I've been around a computer a long time that I can feel a constriction in my body and I have to get outside for a bit. I can feel, even in my adult body, these things that take place. Is that typical EMF type of effects that are taking place, or is this also part of what you're calling this electronic screen syndrome? I think um, the EMFs play a part of it, and there's a varying degree of sensitivity to EMF. So some people, depending on their skin, their immune system, um, and, you know, if they have autism or other, another kind of chronic condition, allergies, those people are probably more sensitive to EMFs. Um, but it's interesting because a lot of the effects that happen with the screen itself are the same ones that happen that we're seeing with EMFs. So we see inflammation, we see the stress response, um, we see suppression of melatonin. It's, it's much harder to test with EMFs because they're just tricky to, they're tricky to study because they it's hard to control, and, you know, like I said, people vary in their response. But um, it's likely that the EMFs are compounding all the other stress effects I was just referring to that are coming directly from the screen and interacting with the screen. What are some of the other symptoms that we can see in a child? Like, are we going to see things going on with their eyes or... What what tends to be the result of this type of of screen effect that that we are categorizing into other sorts of disorders and behavioral challenges? Right. So one of the things that happens when the brain is stressed is the frontal lobe starts to not function as well. So the frontal lobe controls everything from executive functioning. So that means getting things done, planning, prioritizing. Um, creativity, impulse control, um, and emotional regulation. So all of these things or any of them can be impaired. So then you can have a child that has poor impulse control, who can't pay attention, who can't get things done, and they look just like they have ADHD. So, you know, some children already have ADHD, and then 
the screens and gaming and everything just makes it worse. And some children don't have it, but they look exactly like they have it. You know, if they go in to do an evaluation, they look like they have it. They do the Connors rating scales or whatever the doctor wants to do to do the diagnosis. It comes up positive, and wham, they get started on a medication. So, you know, then they're giving a stimulant for the ADHD when they're already overstimulated from electronics. So that's like a really common one is, is ADHD being misdiagnosed. But really, when the nervous system gets into that high arousal state, um, some children become anxious, some children become aggressive. They basically can't handle any stress. Like everything is overwhelming them all the time. So they can look like they have an anxiety disorder, they can look depressed, they can look like they have bipolar disorder. So virtually any kind of psychiatric disorder or even learning disorders, because they can't focus, um, can, can be mimicked. So the danger of that is that on top of the fact that we're missing, you know, the boat is that they're being put on medication unnecessarily. So I've seen a lot of kids who are put on all these different medications because nothing's working, and then it turns out it's really their screen time. And then I've also seen when, when I have been uh, up late at night on a screen, I tend to have a hard time falling asleep. And so if that's taking place for me as an adult, what are mm-hmm. the effects that are taking place for a child that is, let's say, uh, watching something right before bed, even if it's like a storybook type thing? Right. So, yeah, um, any kind of electronic media in the evening in kids has been shown to disrupt sleep. Now, the interesting thing is that um, interactive screen time, because it's more stimulating, is much more likely to disrupt sleep with a less amount. So, you know, some studies show that even just 10 minutes can suppress melatonin, which is the sleep chemical that helps us fall asleep. It's normally released by darkness. Um, And other studies have shown that just 30 minutes of computer time will affect the child's memory and cognitive performance the next day compared to, um, compared to television, which I think it was like two hours of television, so, you know, impacted sleep, but it didn't impact their, the child's cognitive performance the next day. So we're starting to see, you know, different studies that are looking at things more specifically. Um, we know for kids that they see something, if they're watching a, a rousing TV show, that's something that's scary or action-based, that could affect their sleep. But it's much more likely that the interactive screen times that they're texting or playing a game before bedtime, you're almost guaranteed that that, their sleep is not going to be as deep that night. And that's true for adults as well. It's just that with kids, you see the results right away. Like we might feel tired and kind of cranky, but we can function better. But kids, you know, they had one night of bad sleep and they're a wreck. And, and allowing this type of thing to continue, that chronic stress, uh, along with just, you know, I, I've watched kids and they look almost zombie-like when they get a mm-hmm. hold of an iPad or a game or, or just in general doing anything on an electronic device. It's like they, their hearing shuts down, they lose complete periphery of everything going on around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about what the chronic stress does and also how it affects the sociability. Well, when they're engaged in that world 
and as you said, they just kind of become a zombie. They really are kind of blocking everything else out because that virtual world is so engaging. It's so stimulating. And if you put that onto a developing brain, it's going to have more of an impact than on an adult brain. So they become more and more used to having that kind of stimulation, more used to having um, their needs met right away, to having control over how they're presenting themselves, whether it's through a character or through social media. So all of these things start to impact them in real life. Um, And one of the interesting things is that because their brain is in a state of stress, they, your brain starts to act um, in a more primitive manner. So the deeper brain, kind of the, the um, instinctual or sometimes we call it the reptilian brain, takes over and is much more defensive. That part of the brain does not like to make eye contact. It sees it as a threat. So, you know, when we see a dog that we don't know, you know, we're told not to stare it in the eye because they're going to see it as a threat. Well, you can kind of see the same thing with kids. Like if they've been gaming, um, right after they're gaming, they don't want to look you in the eye because it's uncomfortable for them. So a lot of parents will say, oh, yes, I've definitely seen that. But then now we're seeing, you know, teens and young adults who have been kind of brought up this way, they can't, some of them can't make eye contact at all. Some of them are, you know, it's kind of intermittent, but other ones, you really cannot connect with them at all. They almost look autistic. Um, so and I'm going to stop you right there, Dr. Dunkley. Impact I'm brain s- development. I'm going to stop you right there so we can go to a commercial break and we'll continue that conversation. Dr. Victoria Dunkley became aware of the negative effects of screen time in the early 2000s while working with particularly sensitive patients. These were children with psychiatric disorders complicated by psychological trauma. There were kids that lived in group homes, others in foster care, and others that had been adopted into families. What she discovered was that even small amounts of video games playing triggered this fight-or-flight response the same response we're trying to assuage with therapy and blunt medication. She started advising parents and group home staff to avoid letting these children have any video game play altogether. And this started to abate the symptoms. And she continued her research from there. This led to the book Reset Your Child's Brain, a four-week plan to ending meltdowns, raise grades, boost skills, and reversing the effects of chronic electronic screen time. You can go to her website, resetyourchildsbrain.com, and find out more about her. We'll be right back with Dr. Victoria Dunkley. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, 1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts in topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. 
Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Before we get back to our guest, I want to invite you to go to 1111mag.com and you can find free issues of 1111 Magazine. It is filled with amazing voices and wisdom from fabulous people that are sharing their light and their truth and empowering other individuals with their knowledge. So definitely tap into the magazine. It is my free gift to humanity, and you can use it as your own self-growth curriculum to enhance your life into understanding all of the amazing things that are out there. In addition, you can go to my website, IamSimran.com, and see many of the new retreats scheduled in Charleston, South Carolina at the 1111 Media Retreat Center, where lodging is included and you are taken into experiences that really help you move into stillness, balance, and centering that help you to ground and empower yourself into becoming more of who you are. My guest today is Dr. Victoria Dunkley, and we are discussing her book, Reset Your Child's Brain. This book is intended to expose and explain how interactive screen time creates and exacerbates psychiatric symptoms, and it provides parents with a practical, proven solution to reverse such changes. Part one of the book introduces the phenomenon that Dr. Dunkley calls electronic screen syndrome. It's a constellation of symptoms from exposure to electronic screen media characterized by a state of hyperarousal and mood dysregulation. And it examines case studies ranging from the severely emotionally disturbed child to the high-functioning child with isolated behavior and social issues. She explores how screen devices interface with the child's psychological and physiological systems, altering brain chemistry, arousal level, hormones, and sleep, ultimately interfering with thinking, mood, behavior, and social skills. Part two of her book provides a detailed step-by-step plan that Dr. Dunkley has used with children's and children and parents to minimize and reverse the harmful effects of ESS. This proven four-week program consists of a four-week-long preparation phase, of a week-long preparation phase, and a three-week electronic fast, and it can effectively reset your child's brain. Part three addresses concerns parents inevitably bring up as they embark on the program what to do about school-related screen time, and how to protect children if complete lack of screen exposure isn't possible and how to build this in community awareness. I invite you to find out more about Dr. Dunkley and also an upcoming Teen Leadership Summit that will be listed on her website that is starting in September by going to the website ResetYourChildsBrain.com. That's ResetYourChildsBrain.com. Welcome back, Victoria. Um, I want to go into a little bit about some of the different disorders that children tend to be misdiagnosed with uh, mm-hmm. that really could have just been benefited by removing the screens from them, at least in the fast, and then choosing when to, to allow children to have the electronic screen time. Mm-hmm. Well, I see everything, like I was saying, I think ADHD by far and away is probably the most commonly misdiagnosed um, disorder 
that occurs when kids become dysregulated from screen time. Um, the other one I see a lot of it is bipolar disorder. We know that the diagnosis of bipolar disorder has increased like 40-fold in the last 20 years, and they actually came up with a new diagnosis because no, so many kids were being diagnosed with bipolar disorder and put it, being put on medication, and it was, you know, alarming. So they were looking at what's actually going on with these kids, and they came up with a diagnosis that's um, now in the DSM, which is the diagnose, Diagnosis co- uh, Manual for Psychiatrists, and it's called uh, Disruptive Mood Dysregulation Disorder. So I think that is actually what I'm calling electronic screen syndrome. It's, it's a disorder of dysregulation. If you read their description, it matches exactly what I'm saying. So I think what they're noticing is actually, you know, just all these kids who are overstimulated. So the other thing that can happen, you know, happen is when the nervous system is in that hyperarousal state, the child can be anxious. So a lot of times girls might be anxious, boys might act out more aggressively. Um, but even with autism, I've seen some kids who are kind of on the border, maybe they're on the spectrum, but it's very mild, and then all of a sudden they're, they're looking very autistic. They become more isolated, their language might change, um, they're not making eye contact, they're failing in school, they're having meltdowns, and then, you know, everyone starts wondering, does this child have autism? Well, I have, and I kind of felt, you know, because I work with the autistic population all the time, I know, it, you know, electronics, they just can't tolerate it at all. Um, but I have not heard of kids who are actually diagnosed with autism that, that actually re- reversed with the program until I wrote the book. And I started getting emails from people saying, my child was diagnosed on the spectrum, on the autism spectrum, and we did your program, and lo and behold, they, now they look normal, and mm. they tested as normal, and, you know, some of them are testing like a grade or, you know, grade level higher. It's, it's amazing. So even learning disorders are being um, reversed or at least, you know, the severity is not as bad when they do the program. It's, it's shocking. The brain really does reset and it just starts, whatever its capacity is, it starts to work at its, you know, its normal potential. I loved a section that you had in the book where you talk about green time because, because you know, we, we've talked about some of these disorders but even in the beginning stages, or, or for a lot of people, it might be as much as moodiness and agitation and anxiety and acting out and, and anger issues that a child might have. And you have a section in here about how green time actually does help to restore and, and bring us kind of back into balance. Just touch on that a little bit about what greenery does yes, for the really body. Yes, really interesting. Um, so what they think happens is that attention you know, can be depleted and it can be restored. So there's something about greenery that draws the eye but also lowers the stress response at the same time. So with, with screens, it's drawing the eye, but it's raising the stress response. With greenery, it draws the eye but lowers. So that's kind of what the state you need to be in. You need to be able to pay attention with a lower um, arousal level or, or um, stress level. So what they see is that kids who are around greenery, even pictures of greenery, but particularly, you know, they looked at kids who 
do homework with greenery outside their window or um, who have access to parks with boys, like having access to a lawn was important. Um, And they actually, their grades got better. They were less likely to get in trouble. Um, And it was really interesting, even some of the inner city kids, if they moved to a, a building that had more greenery, their grades were better and they tested better. So it's, it's very powerful, and, you know, it's something that anyone can, a strategy anyone can use is to, you know, immerse their child in greenery as much as they can, even if they're living in an inner city. Like, you know, you can still put plants in the house. You can still do a little garden outside. It's very, very therapeutic, and it's, it's just retuning the child's nervous system to be more in sync with nature where it should be. Well, it does seem that with the the progression of electronics and media, that children tend to be more inside than outside. So it's it it mm-hmm. only makes sense that nature provides us healing if we just allow ourselves to be out in it. Now, I know that for children, it is what we model to them that really impacts them. Oftentimes, it's not our words; it's not what we're going to tell them to do. It's actually our modeling. And so, for a lot of parents. To sit there and stop the screen time, they're kind of saying, do as I say, but not necessarily as I do, because mm-hmm. even parents seem to be addicted at this day and age to our phones. You can go to restaurants and see people on their phones while they're eating. You can see people walking and exercising, and they're looking at their phones. So talk a little bit about what's really required from a st- family standpoint to take this kind of step to really help our children. Well, when I, when I have families do the, the reset program, I, I do try to involve the whole family. So parents are, you know, notoriously resistant to doing it themselves, and they, they can get really defensive about, you know, when you talk about what you were just saying about how their youth affects the children and they, you know, model for them and all that. So it's kind of tricky, but um, what we say is that, you know, try to do the whole reset, the electronic fast as a family the parents might have different rules than the kids, but they still have some rules that are kind of framed around spending time together. So ideally, you wouldn't have any screen time while the children are home. Um, short of that, you would schedule a certain time, like say, okay, mom answers emails from 5 to 6, and then after that, she's done. You know, and then every, of course, during dinner and things like that, there shouldn't be anything, any screens going on. Um, and also, I, I tell parents to talk to their kids about how their screen time affects the child, because it's really eye-opening and it's it's heartbreaking to hear what they have to say. You know, they feel ignored. They constantly feel like they're competing for their parents' attention. Um, and then, you know, what do they do? They go back to their own screen. So... Um, I think when parents understand how it's impacting their own body, that also helps. You know, they, they get those same stress things. But then when they start doing the fast and their child starts to behave better and the child's in a better mood, then the parent also wants to be around them more, you know. So that kind of happens naturally that they start spending more time together. Now, Sometimes uh, that electronic device is used as a babysitter. It's so mm-hmm. easy, you know, or, or for parents sometimes, you know, to, to be at the beck and call or to have to make dinner or have things that are going on. It's easy to just place that iPad in front of the child. 
uh, or after school, even, mm-hmm. you know, the child comes home and, and as a, as a way to just keep the child busy or, or give them a reward for going to school that day, the, the iPad is placed in front of them. How, how would you suggest that be modified or addressed so that it's no longer becoming the babysitter? Um, it's, it, that's a difficult one, especially for single parents. So the first thing we do is try to increase their support, try to problem solve what they can do instead. You know, think about what their own parent would have done during those times, what they would have done as a child. So we kind of brainstorm, um, and then we try to increase support in terms of having other family come in, especially during the fast. Um, having other family come in, having the child get more exercise, making sure the child has uh, play dates and opportunity to kind of burn off energy. But then as the fast gets going, the child really starts to um, learn how to play again, and they're, they, they can entertain themselves a lot more easily. So a lot of parents are terrified of the fast because they're afraid the kid's not going to know what to do with themselves and can't handle being bored and all this stuff. But really, once they are back in the real world, it's a natural thing for them to start playing again. And if they're bored, they'll come up with something. But, you you know, the parent has to have confidence that they'll make it through that process. And kids usually make it through that process faster than the parents think. Uh, You made a very powerful point just then about learning how to play again because there's so many adults out there right now that have forgotten how to play that have yeah. forgotten what it even means to be in that frame of mind or have forgotten what imagination is and how important it is. And, and in, in so much of the, the, the work that is going on with the brain, it, it's illustrating that imagination is what helps to create the neural nets and, and helps to change the brain. And so when we talk about that part of play, is, are the electronic screens stripping our children of those abilities to play and to imagine and to to have the facility to now grow new brain cells and new neural nets and create the realities. Absolutely. It's it's keeping them, it's just, you know, constant input that doesn't allow them to create inside. You know, it's, and they really won't do it if they have that constant, even if they have the choice you know, even if the option's there to have that stimulation, it, it suppresses them. So, yes, we are really are, you know, kind of handicapping them because creativity helps children ha- learn how to problem solve. It really does expand the brain. It helps connect, you know, diff- different parts of the brain connect better. Um, and that is really, you know, the, the hallmark of a healthy brain is it's better connected, it's more synchronized, it's more efficient, um, and so that's what the goal is, is to help your child be creative, do different things that are going to promote that brain integration. And the, that's, that's a brain that's more resilient. It's more um, likely to function better, to be able to use that creativity to actually do something instead of just, you know, build it on Minecraft. So those are the kind of things that help children succeed. So we're about to go to another break, and we're going to go into the reset solution in that next segment. In, in about a minute or a minute and a half, can you paint a picture of what a screen-liberated family looks like and feels like? So it's, it's much different. You know, the, the, the parents don't argue as much. You don't see as much disrespect from the children. 
Um, there's just the level of tension is much lower. There's more smiles. There's more um, laughter and eye contact, interacting with each other, teasing each other. Um, it's just amazing. They'll and they're more likely to do things together. You know, they start doing things as a family. They start playing games together, um, and they don't undermine each other. A lot of times, you know, when stress levels are really high, parents kind of undermine each other, and there's so much tension and resentment that, that you know, even the marriage is really under a lot of stress. So you really see a dramatic change in the level of um, bonding and the quality of the relationships within the family. It's really interesting. Dr. Victoria Dunkley has found that everyday use of interactive screen devices, such as computers, video games, smartphones, and tablets, can easily overstimulate a child's nervous system triggering a variety of stubborn symptoms. In contrast, she's discovered that a strict, extended electronic fast single-handedly improves mood, focus, sleep, and behavior, regardless of the child's diagnosis. It also reduces the need for medication and renders other treatments more effective. Offered now in her new book entitled Reset Your Child's Brain. This simple intervention can produce a life-changing shift in brain function and help your child get back on track, all without cost or medication. While no one in today's connected world can completely shun electronic stimuli, Dr. Dunkley provides hope for parents who feel that their child has been misdiagnosed or inappropriately medicated by presenting an alternative explanation for their child's difficulties and a concrete plan for treating them. Dr. Victoria Dunkley is an award-winning integrative psychiatrist who has appeared as a mental health expert. And in the past 10 years, her RESET program has helped more than 500 children, teens, and young adults who fail to respond to conventional treatment alone. Go to her website, ResetYourChildsBrain.com. The book is Reset Your Child's Brain. And if you want to find out more about a new teen leadership summit that's taking place in September, that will be located on her website as well. We'll be right back with Dr. Victoria Dunkley. The Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, 1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts and topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. 
Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Perhaps the most important distinction is between interactive and passive screen time. Interactive screen time refers to screen activities in which the user regularly interfaces with the device, be it a touchscreen, keyboard, console, motion sensor, and so on. Passive screen time refers to watching movies or television programs on a TV set from across the room. Nowadays, parents often let their children watch TV shows or movies on an iPad, laptop, or handheld device. But because viewing media this way is more stimulating and dysregulating, Dr. Dunkley considers this to be interactive screen time. Generally speaking, both interactive and passive screen time are associated with health issues. This is from the book, Reset Your Child's Brain, a four-week plan to end meltdowns, raise grades, and boost social skills by reversing the effects of electronic screen time. The author is Dr. Victoria Dunkley, and she is a psychiatrist that has worked with children for the for many, many years to help improve their health, their wellness, their brain, and their moods. Dr. Dunkley, I want to get into a little bit about what this fast is and and how it works and what are the steps involved in it so that people can understand when they get the book how to truly implement this. Mm -hmm. So the, the fast is essentially at least three weeks of no interactive screen time, so no gaming, no Texting, emailing, social media, smartphone use, um, etc. The only thing that we allow on, in some cases is, is school screen time. Uh, and I'll come back to that in a second. But basically we're trying to relieve the nervous system, allow it to rest, get deeper sleep, allow the body clock to resynchronize, um, allow the brain chemistry to normalize again so that the nervous system isn't subjected to all this stress and, and high arousal levels. I do allow a little bit of uh, passive screen time as long as it's not um, animated and it's not too stimulating. So they can have five hours a week or less of movies, like older Disney movies are good or the Nature Channel, things like that. So you were asking earlier about, you know, parents using it as electronic babysitter. Those, those five hours do help the parents get a little bit of a reprieve if they need it. Um, but basically the key is getting rid of all that rapid interactive screen time. So that's the fast. Before the fast, we go through a week, you know, up to a week of planning. Some parents are ready to go right away. Other parents really have to kind of plan because they have so many screens around. So there's different steps we go through, trying to think about where the child might get exposure. Um, You need to make sure they don't go to someone's house where they're going to play, so you have to kind of think through their week and their days and, um, you know, make sure all those gaps are, that there's a stop gap for all those little places where things might come in. You have to, you know, prepare the whole household, prepare teachers, um, and then go through, do a thorough screen sweep in the house, in the car, everything. You know, I can't, some, it's, it's shocking to me how many devices people find, you know, <laughs> including older ones. So you have to make sure you go into the bed, in the closets, and in the kitchen drawers, everything. Take out old phones because, you know, when kids are looking for their fix, they will find any old thing and make it work. Um, so there is some planning involved. And then... The other thing that's really helpful, if, if they can find another family to do it with them, 
um, then that makes it a lot easier because then they can plan play dates together and support each other. Now, with this type of thing happening, especially if children have been so used to a device or being on something or certain games, the first initial reaction that they're going to have is is real upset. And and so many parents um, might have an issue of guilt or, or have a hard time saying no or just, you know, have to hear the words, you're being mean, you know, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. So talk a little bit about answering those hard questions that come up with children when they first don't really understand why this is having to happen. Well, and the book really goes into this a lot because this is a this is the step that really keeps parents from doing the program. Um, their kids have different reactions, so a lot of them will become upset, obviously. Some will cry, some will feel devastated, some will panic, some will get really angry. Um, some kids will feel relief because they kind of know that it's not good for them, or they can have a mixture of all those things. But, you know, the parents who um, are worried that the child will become assaultive or or alternatively will become so depressed that they threaten to hurt themselves, we create a safety plan. So that can be anything from if they're afraid of aggression that they have another adult present while they're informing the child and also while all the devices are being removed, um, that is often sufficient. If it's more serious, you know, sometimes we get a more professional team involved with therapists and stuff, but usually they just need a show of force, so like another adult to help the parent feel empowered. If it's a matter of a child feeling depressed um, or, or if they threaten to hurt themselves, that means that the child's really anxious about feeling separated from the device. So in that case, you, know, you need to replace the device with the parent, which is what the problem is in the first place. So if, if, so in those cases, I say, you know, stay with the child until they're feeling more secure. So usually that first week, I'll have the parent, um, you know, not, not allow any unmonitored time. They can sleep in the child's room. Um, and, you know, parent, kids sometimes protest, but they, they also like it. They just, they like the attention. They feel like, you know, the parent's responding to their genuine distress. And, and that's what really this is about anyway, is those same pathways that get hijacked by these devices are actually the bonding pathways. Those bonding pathways are created um, naturally so that the child stays with the parent. That's what they're for. So when you replace them with one-on-one time, you're literally giving them what they, you know, what they need physiologically. So when you're describing all of that, a lot of those uh, reactions are reactions of true withdrawal, which, mm-hmm. which illustrates that when we get on these devices, that they are addictive in nature, that we are perverting um, addictions within our children if we're not truly monitoring and regulating their usage. Is that what's taking place? Are we... Are we um, enabling certain types of addictions to, to start to creep in to our children's yes, lives if we don't absolutely. do this. Um, the, the study, brain scan studies on adolescents and young adults who are addicted to, say, Internet use or gaming, they absolutely show the same kind of damage as alcohol, heroin, cocaine um, use. So 
that was surprising to a lot of researchers because we thought it was going to be, we thought the brain changes would be more similar to what happens in a food addiction or a gambling addiction because there's a more behavioral. But it turns out it's actually more similar to um, the damage seen with substances and alcohol. So that tells us that it's really a psychoactive activity. And it's, even though you're not ingesting it through your gastrointestinal system, your eyes are ingesting it and your psyche is ingesting it. So it, it does trigger, it's, you know, absolutely triggers changes in the brain immediately and over time. Um, but some of the reactions that we see are because they're withdrawing or because they're anticipating the withdrawal. So that anger is, you know, you're taking away the thing that makes me feel better. You're taking away, you know, the only thing that makes me happy or that makes me feel connected. So um, that distress is real, but sometimes, you know, especially with teens, you'll see a lot of manipulation with the parents, so they'll really lay it on thick and try to make the parent feel guilty, and they'll use all sorts of tactics to derail the conversation because they're not really going into withdrawal until, you know, when everything's actually removed. Um, so during that, during the, the real withdrawal phase, most of the time, even kids who are playing a lot, that, that withdrawal period maybe lasts a day or two. So they might be more whiny, um, looking for something to do, kind of listless. They might, you know, complain more, cry more, whatever. But usually it only lasts a day or two. With teens, within the first week, they're usually starting to re-regulate. Um, so it's really kind of rare that I see a child who's um, really physically addicted take, you know, six weeks or so to kind of come out of it. Um, so that, you know, when, I, when they do have that withdrawal, it can take longer than obviously three weeks. We want to do it as long as they need to to really kind of reverse those changes, but, um, but the withdrawal is, it's, you know, it's both psychological and, and physical. So um, if parents kind of know what's going to happen and just prepare for it, then the, they're much more likely to be successful at doing it. You have a section in the book where you talk about uh, treating screens as a privilege and not a right, and you also go ahead and write about uh, how it prevents children from becoming entitled, that an unhealthy entitlement is a recognized phenomenon within the current generation, and it makes parenting that much harder. There are mm -hmm. a lot of, of articles that are coming out that talk about these upcoming generations and the sense of entitlement that exists because of the toys and the gadgets and the, the, the constant feeding of their desires and needs. So talk about why this really does have to be treated as a privilege and not a right. Well, I think it's a really kind of a complicated issue. I think part of that comes from them thinking it's a, it's a right, comes from the fact that it's around all the time, but it also comes from the, the nature of the activity itself, getting that constant, you know, gratification, and um, which results in them not being able to tolerate frustration. So they think everything should come to them easily. They don't have to work for anything when they're online. Um, so then they become, you know, less likely to be able to tolerate frustration. Um, I, I'm sorry, I forgot what you were asking. 
That's fine. I'd actually like to have you answer one more thing, right, because we're about to close in about a minute and a half, and that is when it comes to schools, because so many of them are implementing the iPad, is there a way to balance that so that when kids are coming home and doing their homework and they're still being asked to be on their iPads and phones to do that homework, how do we as parents manage that part of it? The first thing I would tell any parent is to, if they can opt out of it, to absolutely opt out of it. Schools don't always advertise that that is an option, but I would always ask. Ask in writing, you know, make sure it's, there's a paper trail. Um, and, but the other thing is if they can't get out of it, to um, ask if they can still ask if the use can be minimized because sometimes schools just use them for everything under the sun for no reason. Um, and they're also using them as rewards. So you can kind of eliminate as much as you can with the teacher and with the school and then have a child do all their homework with you, you know, in the kitchen or some other common area where you can see exactly what they're doing. So they shouldn't be allowed to multitask, um, should be allowed to play music or get on social media or whatever during those times and just try to keep it really contained and during as early in the afternoon as possible so they're not subjected to that light at night. The other thing parents can do is they can even ask that the schools um, eliminate the homework because the child's having trouble sleeping. Um, so if, it doesn't hurt to ask, and I always tell parents ask again and again and again because there's more and more parents who are you know, upset about this issue and feel like they can't do anything. My guest today has been Dr. Victoria Dunkley, and I urge you to get her book, Reset Your Child's Brain, to support their own mental health and also their physiological and psychological health. You will find that your family health improves as well. Again, this is Reset Your Child's Brain. You can go to her website, resetyourchildsbrain.com. Next week, my guest is going to be Richard Rudd, and we are doing a two-week series on his work, The Seven Sacred Seals. It is profoundly beautiful and deeply impacting for your own soul journey and the tapping into your true essence. Until then, in love, of love, with love, and as love, I am Simran. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.